Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed? Featuring special guest Kelsey German, sister of Liberty German from Delphi, Indiana. This morning, our top story this morning happening right now in Carroll County. The sheriff's office and community members continue to look for two missing girls last seen near the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi. News 18's Alexis Moberger reports how many have spent hours searching, and they say they will not stop looking until the girls are found. We're just praying for their safe return. 13-year-olds Liberty German and Abigail Williams went missing Monday. The girls were last seen near an abandoned railroad bridge known as the Monon High Bridge around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We're upset, confused, obviously very distraught. Worried. All I want to do is have the girls get home safe. Missing, abducted, we don't know for sure. Uh, cell phone has been pinging around town here. There's a cell phone tower, but the ping was last noted about five or six hours ago. They say the phone's now dead. Ravines, ditches, trash cans for phones, any any sign of, of it, girls and anything we can find to find them. Honestly, I hope they're just hidden up somewhere, scared to be in trouble. And an update now on our top story, those two missing girls in Carroll County, the Sheriff's Office and members of the Delphi area community continue searching for those missing girls in the Delphi area, saying now they won't stop until those 13-year-olds are found. It's been nearly 24 hours, of course, since they were reported missing. 13-year-olds Liberty German, Abigail Williams, last seen around 1 o'clock Monday afternoon near the Monon High Bridge, that abandoned rail bridge just outside of Delphi. This is breaking news from Channel 13 Eyewitness We have news. nobody in, in custody at this time. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, yes, there is somebody out there that did this horrendous crime, and uh, we're going to track them down. State police talking about the fear and concern in a small town community after they announced that two missing girls were in fact victims of murder. Investigators solemnly identified the two bodies found in Carroll County as 13-year-olds Libby German and Abby Williams. Now we still don't know what happened to them after they disappeared during an afternoon hiking trip. I think they were in pretty much belief that it was their, their children, um, but when you hear it from an official it, it's it's still a little just, still, it hits home twice. One of the hundreds of volunteer searchers found the bodies of Libby German and Abby Williams in a wooded area near Deer Creek. It is an area accessible only by foot or on horse. We are using resources from uh, all the way from Lowell, Fort Wayne, and uh, the southern state, or the southern part of the state's uh, police, state troopers. We will stay on the job until it is done. So as far as I'm concerned, yes, there is somebody out there that did this horrendous crime and uh, we're going to track them down. Jeff and Kayla, two bodies were discovered around 12.15 this afternoon just east of Delphi, not too far from where I'm standing, actually, near Deer Creek. Now, although, although their identities are unknown, they were found less than a mile upstream from the Monon High Bridge where 13-year-olds Liberty German and Abigail Williams were last seen yesterday. The FBI, Indiana State Police, the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, and Delphi Police are all working the investigation. As police continue a very methodical investigation here, going down every road in the search for clues, some folks who live near the crime scene, they fear that their road will never be the same. Again, they have not said he's a suspect or a person of interest. Instead, investigators believe that he is the only person they haven't identified who was in the area at that time. It was unbelievable. 
it is Delphi after all. It's family. That way I've always put it. It's everyone knows each other. So I could not believe what was happening. It was very shocking. We're all sort of hurting a little bit. If we could share that, maybe it might be easier. I think our day was uh, disbelief um, and, and kind of questions. You know, why? Why did this have to, have to happen uh, to our students in Delphi? Why did this happen in our community? This gentleman has not been identified, and we want to know what he saw, what he might have seen on the trail. Uh, did he see somebody else that maybe some of the others didn't see? The Sheriff's Department says the trail photos of a man released Wednesday have brought in about 200 tips, and they're checking every one of them, they say. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and again, this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, I have a very special guest, as I mentioned in the intro, and that is Kelsey German. As you could tell from the news clips, she is the sister of Libby German, who was unfortunately the victim of one of the more famous or infamous unsolved crimes in the last few years. I had the chance to talk with her one-on-one, and I really think you guys will enjoy hearing her side of the story as well as the relationship that she had with her sister. She really is a fighter, and she really does have a lot of great advocacy ahead of her, and I can't thank her enough for taking the time out of her crazy schedule to spend some time with me to tell the story of Libby and Abby. And again, this is in relation to the Delphi murders. And if you are unfamiliar with the case, I highly recommend Googling it before listening to this episode or listen to this episode and then Google it or do both the joys of having multiple pieces of technology at our fingertips. So please enjoy my conversation with the sister of Libby German, the one and only Kelsey German. This week, I am very happy and lucky to be joined by Kelsey German, sister of Liberty German of Delphi, and welcome to my passion case. Thank you for coming, Kelsey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and helping me share the story. I hope that, uh, I mean, you're kind of all over the media spectrum, so I just hope that any bit of extra attention to this case is beneficial for you and finding resolution to, you know, this awful tragedy. So what case are we talking about today, Kelsey? Today we're talking about the Abby and Libby case from Delphi, Indiana. This kind of took on a life of its own right away. How did you, were you the one that dropped them off or were you involved with taking them at all to the, to their walk? Yeah, so that day we had the snow makeup day. Um, Abby and Libby were at our house um, just playing around like normal kids. And uh, so they needed something to do. They'd kind of been working with my grandma and working on Libby's desk. And they just needed something to go out and have some fun. And so they asked me to take them that morning. Um, And a little while later, I decided that I would take them if they could find a ride home because I had other plans. From there, we dropped them off at the bridge around 1.35, and the searches started around 4 o'clock that day. So is this like a normal, like, I kind of grew up in an area where we had the local park that was kind of like the woods, 
you know, you'd kind of go and have your own little adventures as a kid and you kind of could explore and not be bothered by adults and whatnot. Is that kind of the type of area this was? Definitely. So there's there's not a whole lot to do in Delphi unless you're involved in clubs and sports at the school. Uh, they don't really have any like bowling alleys or movie theaters. It's basically just a bunch of places to eat, parks, and the trail systems. So anything that we could do always involves school or going out and walking the trails or going on bike rides on the trails. And that's something that all of the kids in Delphi did, especially as a family. Our family would go out and ride the bikes not necessarily to High Bridge, but to other parts of the trail. So High Bridge is, that was actually like the name of the bridge that, where they went that day? Yeah, it's actually called Monon High Bridge. Okay. And so how far away is that actually from your house? Not that far. Uh, I think it's about two miles, but I could be wrong. But it's uh, far enough that, you know, they needed a ride. Yeah, you couldn't walk there from our house. Gotcha. What was the weather like that day? I know I've heard reports it was fairly warm. It was definitely unseasonably warm for a February day, and there was no snow at that point. It was a little bit sunny, so um, it felt like you could go outside after the really cold winter that we'd had. You could go outside without a sweatshirt and feel fine. So I remember that morning Libby didn't want to take a sweatshirt, and so I had to make them both get sweatshirts out of my car just in case, because it was in the shade a little bit. I know that it would have been cold in the shade, but it was super nice out other than that. Like if you were in the sun, it was perfect. So what was the age difference between you and Liberty? Me and Libby are about two years apart in age. So you're the oldest? I am, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you took on that kind of that uh, maternal responsibility of making them... uh, Make sure you take your sweatshirts. It's going to be cold at some point. Yeah, definitely. That's I kind of had that with Libby for like a, our entire lives, basically. Um, but that was just one example of how I always had to push her to do something like that. Um, she was very good at not taking sweatshirts with her anywhere. So. Yeah, the uh, the infamous, uh, make sure you bring a jacket with you and somehow the jacket just doesn't seem to make it out of the closet or yeah. off the... <laughs> the steps exactly so what time were they supposed to be picked up that day my dad was in frankfurt taking some pictures for my grandma um so the plan was when he was finished he would pick them up on his way back to our house it wasn't going to be very long there wasn't really a set time um but we knew it wasn't going to be more than two hours now was there there was actually a set meeting spot though yeah, so to get to High Bridge, there's really two trails or trailheads, I guess, you could stop at. Um, you could go from Freedom Bridge and walk the entire trail system, or there's a, another entrance that's not really there now um, that you could, you could walk a little bit shorter of a path to get there. Um, so that one, actually, you're not allowed to park at anymore, but it's a little bit closer to my house than Freedom Bridge is. Okay. As far as the bridge itself goes, I mean, is that something that you just kind of like hung out on or just like, you know, I know that the pictures that were shot that day or, you know, of the bridge itself, it's obviously not in use anymore. Yeah, that is correct. Were there train tracks? Was this a a train bridge at one point? Yeah, it was a um, part of the railroad system and actually connected, kind of 
curved a little bit and connected down the road. Not too far away, though. It hasn't been used since like the 20s, I believe. The very old. Oh, wow. Okay. So it, this is definitely overgrown. It is definitely one of those things that... Oh, no. Hold on. Anyway, back to what we were saying. Uh, okay, so it, they're getting picked up, or they were supposed to be picked up at around 3.30 or around you know, two, two and a half-ish hours or whenever. Mm-hmm. So your dad shows up and they're not there. Why was the alarm sounded so quickly? So my dad, he called them once and probably a few times and he was trying to get a hold of them and Libby wasn't answering her phone. And that's not usually something Libby does. She Her phone is like always on her hip. So like we know that like her phone is there. She's not answering. Something's wrong. Um, so he actually ended up walking the trail to see if he could see them. And when he got to the trail, he'd asked a couple of people if they'd seen two girls walking the trails and nobody had seen them. Um, so he kept calling them. And then finally he called my grandma. And so everybody was freaking out because she wasn't answering her phone. And that's just not something that she does. And I think that's kind of what alarmed us at first. But our first thought was like they were hurt somewhere and we just needed to find them. Yeah, I guess that's a big difference between technology nowadays and you know, back when I was a kid, having cell phones and being able to communicate and being able to realize something that actually is amiss uh, mm-hmm. that quickly. So he calls the police. My dad actually called my grandma um, and everybody arrived at the bridge. So our whole family was there searching. We didn't call the police until 530 okay. that evening. Gotcha. So it was like a it was a family search of the area because you guys knew the area. Mm hmm. And then you guys notified the police when you couldn't find anything. Yeah. So I think what we were most worried about was that one of them had fallen off the bridge um, or one of them, they had crossed the bridge. We knew that from the Snapchat of Abby um, and had fallen on the other side and Libby's phone had fallen somewhere and just, she couldn't get to it. Um, So we felt like she was there somewhere that close and we needed to find them because they were hurt. Our worst fears weren't there yet. We weren't thinking they're gone. We weren't thinking that they'd ran away. We were just thinking that they were there and we could. We were in the area to find them. Um, so we kind of just searched where we thought they could be. We went across the bridge, searched like the private drive over there um, in the woods on that side. And then when we, when we were over there and couldn't find anything, we knew it was time to get a hold of the police. So you mentioned the possibility of them falling off and getting injured. How fa- how far of a fall would that be? The bridge is 60 feet tall. Oh, so okay. falling off that would be, um, well, you, you wouldn't survive it. Our biggest fear really was that like these train tracks have holes in them that are the size of a human. Like I could fall through the hole. Um, so that was one of our biggest fears going into it was that somebody had fallen through yeah I, I could definitely see that being your first thought yeah 60 feet i guess i was under the impression it wasn't as far as that that's uh yeah that could definitely be a obviously uh not a good situation if you fell oh, yeah. off of that bridge uh we have a bridge that crosses over one of the uh, rivers here that i remember crossing as a kid and uh it's still in use but um the, yeah there's the gaps the gaps between the tracks i mean it is definitely intimidating and mm-hmm. that was definitely a fear so you guys talk to the police now do they respond with gusto i mean do they bring out like full force search party at that point 
In the beginning, um, it was more of like a community thing. We posted it out on social media and everybody was getting involved. I don't think it was really set up by the police until the next day. So I, I think most of it was um, just everybody had heard that the girls were missing and they wanted to get involved. And then um, they did help a lot. The police did in the beginning. Um, they just weren't saying that it was their, like they weren't saying it was the worst circumstances it could be. They were more thinking like they ran away or they got lost in the woods or something. At that point, everybody was out. They called it off, grandpa says, at like midnight. And then the next morning, there was a more organized search party that started. Okay. So at what point did you end up going home? Me and my grandma went home around seven to 10. Those days are super blurry for me, not going to lie. But I know that my grandpa wanted us to go home and wait and see if we got a phone call, if like one of the girls had called us or they like were able to make it to a friend's house or somebody had found them. He just wanted somebody to be there next to the phone and to try to get some sleep. But of course that didn't happen. So as you're leaving the scene, are you at that point thinking something's wrong or i mean obviously something's wrong but are you beginning to think that the worst case scenario is possible at that point we were super worried um i don't think we were thinking the worst at that point um we were more worried that my grandma didn't know that they had jackets so she was most worried that they were going to get really cold and that libby was scared of the dark and they were outside um so we were thinking all of the things that we could think except what actually happened. So at what point did the search party make the unfortunate discovery? Around 1230 the next day. um, We had been searching since about seven in the morning. We were all in our designated areas. Um, There were groups going into all of the cornfields, all of the local areas that we thought they would be and there were groups at high bridge a group that crossed the bridge a group that was just in the woods on the other side um where the girls were found and then on on the private drive area and i was in the group that got to cross the bridge um with a couple other people and that's when somebody yelled up and asked me what kind of shoes the girls were wearing and that's the moment that they said that they'd found them and I'm not even going to ask you what that obviously felt like, because that's just awful and a rhetorical question, because there's no good way of going about asking that. Um, I mean, you were notified that the, about the shoes. I mean, did they come and then explain exactly what was going on, or did they kind of leave you hanging at that point? No, well... um. So I was standing on the driveway uh, and I identified the shoes that the guy said that he saw, or I think the collar that he saw. And not even 30 seconds after I identified them, they said that they'd found two bodies, which is definitely not what you're supposed to do now that I'm learning more about this stuff. But I remember standing there with the person I was with and just collapsing into her arms and uh, after that, everything else is kind of blurry. Um, I know I went to my grandpa's house that was close and uh, waited for the rest of my family to get there. Yeah, I, I'm not going to dwell on, on that because obviously that is um, an awful, awful memory and day. Um, so as far as your relationship with Libby, 
I mean, you guys were really close, right? We were. Um, we were definitely best friends. Um, we'd in our entire lives, it was just us, pretty much, um, us and our two cousins. After we started living with my grandma, we got incredibly close. Um, we spent every moment together. We talked about absolutely everything, and that was the really close sister bond that I think I hope that all sisters have, but to a much stronger extent, just because of all that we've been through in just a short amount of time together. Um, so we were we were definitely the closest that I'd been with anybody. At that point, you're now at your you said your your grand grandfather's house. Mm-hmm. And what happened as far as the dissemination of like information to the media? Because I remember this being all over the national news. Tell me if I'm wrong, but was it not before they were even? I mean, the fact that they were missing even was on the national news before they were found. Is that correct? I believe it was on, I know it was on our local channels pretty quickly. Um, We have family that works for WLFI and he had put it out there pretty quickly, which was, it was super helpful in getting the search party started that night and the next day. And I think that also brought it to the attention of some bigger media because I, I remember the next morning when we'd all got home after we'd been notified that the bodies were identified and we knew that it was them. There were so many news reporters lining up in our driveway and knocking on our windows and trying to get in. And I know that that, that amazed me. Like I, I'd heard about it before, but I'd never actually experienced it. And that was the craziest feeling. Like I think it was Inside Edition that was actually knocking on our windows, trying to get us to come out and talk to them. Um, so that was definitely like the next day, like these big, news medias were coming to us. That's got to be the absolute worst thing in the world to be bombarded by the media and to be so callous to just be banging on your doors or windows trying to get your an interview with you. Yeah, definitely. But I think it was also super instrumental for us. In the beginning, I don't think we really talked a whole lot But once we had sat down and talked to each other and decided what we wanted to do um, and how we wanted to play about this, because all we knew at that point was we needed to catch whoever did this. Obviously, there was foul play expected. We knew that it wasn't an accident and we needed to figure out what happened. And the only way we knew to do that was to get it out there and start talking to people. And so my grandparents and Anna started very quickly. They started talking to these people within weeks, definitely not the first couple days. We needed a couple little time to grieve and figure things out. But uh, after that, everybody was so forthcoming. They just wanted to come and help us. And that was, I think it's helped a lot in bringing attention to the case um, and to just keep it out there. That's one of the reasons why I think it's important to be doing what you've been doing. And I mean, you've become very much of a, of a torch carrier for this case. I mean, as I mentioned before we started recording about, I had seen your presentation at CrimeCon last year. And yeah, you are, um, you're definitely carrying the, a lot of the weight of this and that's gotta be so hard on you. I'm so I'm sorry that you have to carry that. I think My love for my sister is so infinite that no matter how hard this is, um, no matter how much pain I have to put myself through to continue to relive that moment of 
finding out that my best friend had been killed, I have to keep doing it. Uh, I know that I will keep doing it until we catch him, and I know that we're going to catch him. So someday I will be able to stop doing this, even for just a little bit. But I also think what I'm doing is helping a lot of other people. Through all of the connections that I've gotten, I've been able to connect with so many people and created such a big support system for myself and others. Other victims, family members come to me and they're like, wow, I don't, I don't understand how you're doing this. I don't know how you talk about this every single day and you post about it every single day. And it actually surprises me too, because I am not actually a person that gets up and speaks in front of people. Like I can't even go to a sorority meeting and be okay. I have, but I can get in front of a hundred thousand people at CrimeCon and talk about my sister all day. So that's just how I am, I guess. If I'm talking about my sister, I can do it. But um, if you ask me to have a one-on-one conversation with a stranger, absolutely not. It's just amazing how many people care about this case and how I can keep helping people through this case. And my sister's legacy is going to keep living on because I'm able to keep talking about it. And you're doing an incredible job of that. Absolutely. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, True Crime Crime fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She. But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane. And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their true crime channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. As far as the person that is responsible for this, when were you notified that they had caught potentially some evidence on their phone? I was actually back at school. I don't remember when it came out. I mean, I guess the end of February, maybe April. And I was sitting in Spanish class and we knew that there was going to be a press release and my grandparents didn't know anything about it, I don't think. Or if they did, they decided not to tell me what was being released. And so I was sitting there in class and the teachers at that time weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, It was kind of a a thing you just, you didn't say anything. Um, I I talked to a lot of Libby's friends during that week. I talked to a lot of people about it, but the teachers just weren't allowed to say anything. So... I, I remember my teacher looking at me and she knew that I was going to be sitting in the back of the classroom watching it and she didn't want me to be alone. Um, so she asked the class if they would be okay watching the press release and they were all my friends. We were all in the same grade. So everybody was okay with it. So she closed the door and locked it and just told us not to say anything to anyone. Um, and We were sitting in that room together, and that's when we heard the voice for the first time. Um, All of us were sitting there, and we were dumbfounded by the fact that my sister did that. Like, she took a video of somebody who was going to end up killing her, and we're all listening to his voice together, and we're all in shock. It was very comforting to have them there, that's for sure. But, yeah, that's the moment when I heard his voice for the first time. Wow. Um let that sink in for a second. Uh, yeah, good thing you had all your friends there. I mean, that is definitely a lot of information to take in. But wow, on your sister's part for having the wherewithal to 
record, you know, this person if anything nefarious was going to happen and just to be able to have the forethought to do something like that. I think that she was very smart, wasn't she? Absolutely. Libby was the smartest person I'd ever met. So it didn't surprise me at all that she was able to do something like that. I think we had watched a lot of true crime shows, like so much. I don't think there was really a night that the ID channel wasn't on our TV. Um, So I think she just learned so much. And that's what she wanted to do with her life. She wanted to be a science teacher or pathologist, just something that could help people and solve crimes and that kind of thing. So that was definitely something that I could see her doing. And I don't know. I it was amazing to me that she did it, and both of them will always be my heroes because I know neither of them would have left the other side. But I think they're both just super amazing, two super amazing ladies. Yeah, they had a lot to lot to give the world. Yeah, and uh, that video was like her legacy. That was the last thing she was able to do, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, and I think that gives did that give you some sort of um, kind of a a little bit of a and I don't want to say relief, but a little bit of a starting point to start trying to figure out exactly who this person was opposed to having some, I mean, it's still a mysterious individual, but there's at least a picture out there now, even though if we, we can talk about the composite sketch and, and all that, but I mean, at least did you feel some comfort that they were at least making progress? I did. Uh, I think I, at that point I was like, wow, we, we have this, this thing that happened but we don't know anything like we don't know who did it no there's no cameras out there um and at that point I didn't know if there had been witnesses if there had been other people out there that maybe saw him so I think seeing that video really gave me a little bit of hope like we can solve this like it's it could happen but also at that point I think I was still super in denial I didn't think that it was happening and I did not want to be involved in the case. I was not involved in anything until we went to CrimeCon the first time, I think in 2018. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because obviously you became more involved in the case. And I'm sure that that had to do with just time. When did you realize that like, you could make a big difference in somebody else's life as well as potentially finding your sister's killer? I met some really awesome people while I was at that crime con. Um, That year, uh, the Golden State Killer case had just been solved. And uh, the sister survivors were all there. So um, Michelle was telling me her story. Um, She was talking to me about how her sister had been killed. Janelle was the last victim of the Golden State Killer. And she had done so much amazing work. She had worked with victims' family members. She was a super big advocate for her sister. And we were the same age when we lost our sisters. Michelle was the younger sister of the two, but we were both 17 when it happened. Um, And at that point, we instantly clicked. And she was just so inspiring. Um, She was telling me all of the different things that she did and how she'd made a difference in her life, in her sister's case, and in other people's lives. Uh, And that really just amazed me that she was able to do that. Like, I didn't understand at that point how a sister could put their self out there um, without knowing a face or having a name. Um, I, I had no idea that I was able to do what I am doing now. But after talking to Michelle, I was so inspired. Um, I think I started my Twitter the next day 
or maybe even that evening. And after that, it went up from there. I just got involved in so, so many podcasts, so many more interviews with news media. Um, We were invited back to CrimeCon. And I think after meeting Michelle, the amount of news media that was contacting me was insane. I had messages from all over the world coming into my Twitter of people that just wanted to interview me. And I was in call. I was like about to start college. So I had zero time to do it, but I made time. And that's just, that's kind of when I realized like people really want to talk to me about this. They're seeing me put myself out there and that's helping other people. And I just kind of decided like, this is what Libby would want me to do. And so I just did it. Thank you to this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. Being the true crime podcaster that I am, I can get pretty overwhelmed with all the research I do. But I've found the perfect way to relax and also give me a little pick-me-up in the process. And that's called Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you play right on your phone. It really is a lot of fun. Your brain will be locked in as you move through all the different levels and face challenging puzzles. But it's a fun, casual game that anyone can play. I'm far from an expert, and I recently cruised past level 2200. Best Fiends also won't take up much of your time, but what it does do... It makes those moments like waiting for your next socially distanced meeting a lot more fun. We've all been staying home a lot more often these days, and Best Fiends is now my go-to app for entertainment and stress relief. Oh, and the best part is, you don't even need an internet connection to play. I find that the game is so beautiful, it helps soothe my mind, and the cute characters just make it better. Best Fiends updates monthly with new levels and events, so we'll always stay fresh. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Yeah, it takes a real big commitment on your part to kind of set aside your obvious feelings and... um I mean, the emotions are obviously going to always be there. It does have to give you a little bit of like you're working towards something. And I think that does that does that make you feel like you're making progress and you're keeping your sister's legacy intact by taking that approach? Absolutely. I think I think working towards something, too, helps you to cope a lot. And so through this, I've been able to not really forgive the person that did this but come to terms with what happened um I think I I don't understand it I can't really say that but I can say that I've I'm not as in denial as I was three years ago um and I'm able to talk about it without feeling like I I want to die too I guess I guess I just I'm not going to crawl up in a ball and cry anymore I'm going to keep going at it strong um and keep Libby's legacy alive as long as I'm alive. And that's kind of where, why I keep doing what I'm doing. Um, That's why I keep talking about it. And I'll continue to say her name and Abby's name and talk about them until I can't anymore. Um, I think part of that survivor's guilt too. um, When you drop them off and you know, like you were the last person to see them. And if you wouldn't have dropped them off, they would still be here. Um, So part of that helps me to keep going at it and sharing it and it helps me to not think about all of the things like the what ifs and stuff like that i 
Yeah, I didn't want to get into that uh, aspect of it because that definitely has got to be a tough feeling to um, obviously be to deal with with the person that dropped him off. But I, you obviously seem to have made peace with that aspect of it. I have definitely gotten there. Um, it took a really long time, a lot of therapy, and a lot of writing. But I have the most awesome support system. I like I cannot stress that enough. Like, like the amount of people in my life that have gone through what I've gone through, like Sarah Turney and Amanda and Michelle and all of them. Like, there's so many of them, and it amazes me that they're able to do it. And when I see them doing it and pushing on, um, I think that makes it easier for me. Like, they, they feel guilty too. Like, I I know each of them does. We all have the same feelings, but we feel them differently. Um, and we're able to talk to each other about that. And that helps tremendously to not feel that guilt anymore. Yeah, I've actually talk, been talking with Sarah. I've talked to her a couple times, Sarah Turney, mm-hmm. uh, in the past few weeks, actually. Uh, we ended up having, I think, two two-hour conversations. She is uh, definitely a good person to uh, have on in your support system. And I think... I think the amazing thing about technology and Twitter and, you know, podcasts and just you grew up with this stuff. So you, this is all just normal for you, but to be able to get this out there as well as you are able to, and how quickly you're able to get that information out there. And like you said, you were on, you've been on so many podcasts. I think you put out a list. Did you put out a list of all the podcasts that you were on last year? Actually, it's a list of everything we've been on in the entire three years. Jeez. Um, it's huge. And there's still more to add. And there's, I have more people, like I have to add this one. I have to add several others that I've done in the last couple of weeks that I, I don't, I don't put them on until it airs. Um, but that list is at least twice as long and it's going to get longer in 2020. So it's amazing. I definitely think that as far as the case goes, by you getting yourself out there you said something last year at CrimeCon about how this changed your direction in life as far as what you wanted to do with your life. Is that, does that hold true still? Yeah, absolutely. When this all started, I was a junior in high school and my dream was to become a communications major. I wanted to be a communications specialist and become a journalist. I didn't really want to do talking. I just wanted to write. And I was a good writer, and I loved yearbooks, so photojournalism was kind of my go-to career. Like, that was what I wanted, Um, and that's what I wanted to do all through high school. Like, that's what I knew my life was going to be. I was going to write and take pictures for the rest of my life. And as soon as this happened, I started meeting people, and my, like, entire life kind of was going up in flames, and I don't think anything is the same now as it was then but i was i was learning a lot about true crime and all of these amazing people that had lost their family members or loved ones or best friends and meeting a lot of cool podcasters and news media people and i met a couple of news pe- media people that i just didn't like and i was like man i i don't want to be the person coming and knocking on somebody's door two days after like like their little sister was just murdered and you're knocking on my door. And like, I, I didn't want to have to be that person. Like, I know that's their job. 
but I just didn't want to do it. And when I went to CrimeCon the first year, I met a really cool forensic psychologist. I couldn't even tell you their name. I just know that I loved their, I loved their job. I loved their field. And um, I was meeting like forensic investigators and I was meeting like forensic journalists and all, all kinds of really cool people you can meet at CrimeCon. While I was meeting them, I was like, man, I really love this stuff. And I, I didn't really think anything of it. Like it wasn't something I wanted to do. I was going to be a journalist and write and take pictures my whole life. Um, but I went back to school and I was talking to my yearbook teacher and she's like, cause do you realize how much your eyes light up when you talk about this stuff? And I hadn't like, I, I know that I felt really inspired by these people, but I didn't realize how much it affected me to be inspired by them and how much my life was better that I, now that I knew them. And now that, now that I knew them, that feeling of the anxiety and depression that I had was kind of going away. And I loved that feeling. Um, and now that I knew I could help people with it, I decided that uh, I wanted to start getting into this field. Um, so I ended up changing my path completely. Um, I started out at Ball State as a communications major because that's what I wanted to do. But as soon as I realized that that wasn't the right thing for me, I transferred back home. So now I'm at Purdue and I'm studying psychology and forensics. I'll be studying abroad in Scotland in May um, and working with some really cool forensic practitioners there. Wow. And I'm making some really amazing connections for my um, my career. I've met some really awesome people um, that have opened some really awesome doors for me. And yeah, so I, I'm definitely going to help people in the future. And my it's really sad that my sister dying had to be the way that I found it but this is definitely the career I'm supposed to go into well I know we're on the radio at the moment but I can see you and I can actually <laughs> I can agree with what your teacher said about your eyes lighting up as just the subject yeah. uh, it's amazing you know what a teacher comment like a com what a great teacher that person is I mean that Everybody should be so lucky to be, to have somebody be able to recognize that in, in somebody else and you being able to say, okay, well, I'm going to put my feelings to the side about this, that, and the other, but still obviously push towards getting answers, but I'm also going to be working towards doing this professionally. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely awesome. And what part of Scotland are you going to? So we are going to Edinburgh. Um, so I guess we're going we're going to all of the UK. But I have been there, and it is beautiful. We're starting in Derby, um, and going making our way down, going to Nottingham, Edinburgh, London, um, and a couple other places. So that is we're so super cool. excited. Yeah, is um, this through your school? Yeah. Uh, so I applied for it. The second month of my first semester, and the first semester at a new school is always super hard. Um, you don't make a whole lot of friends usually, and you're kind of struggling, but... I, I transferred four times. <laughs> yeah, my grandma said no. She said, you're, you're staying at Purdue, um, which is fine. I like it there, but... Um, Took me eight I, years. That's why I'm not... And I'm not a doctor, so... <laughs> I love my... I love my path right now. Um... But yeah, I'm super excited. I I applied and like I think 50 people applied and only 18 got in. And 
yeah, you had to go through like a bunch of interview processes and things, and it was it was a really cool process. But some really cool stuff we're going to be learning about. We're we're learning about diatoms right now, which is not something I'm interested in. But if you're interested in them, there are some pretty cool things you can learn from them. They're boring though, really, really boring. <laughs> you know, it's funny that your path as far as uh, being a communication. I was a communications major, journalism major. I've been a producer a couple different news stations here in Cleveland and I obviously host a couple different podcasts nowadays and do some producing and whatnot but you mentioned about the reporter not being the person not wanting to be the person or meeting people that were kind of giving that business a bad name do you realize though that what you're doing is still going to have like your passions that you had before will still impact what you do with your forensic aspect of things because one, you still will be involved with pictures. You'll still be involved with writing. It's all still, it's connecting the dots. It's like Steve Jobs says in that great commencement speech from Stanford. And if you haven't watched it, I strongly recommend taking 14 minutes of your day to do so. Because what it sounds like is you can take the passions that you had before because you've already done it. I mean, you're, you're doing media right now. You are in the media so like you are doing both. <laughs> You're kind of like a dual major without technically being a dual major. And you really learn the true art of journalism by doing more, the, more so than by sitting in a classroom. And you've probably learned more in the last three years than I promise you than I learned <laughs> in, in eight. eight years. <laughs> and uh, again, it, it's amazing that you can take something like what happened to your sister and turn it into such a positive thing. And that there's people out there like Sarah and like Michelle, like you had mentioned, that can be sort of like, I mean, Michelle has to be what sort of a mentor at this point, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I have, I have several mentors, but she's definitely the number one um like she waited 42 years to find out who killed her sister and i've only waited three and i know how much pain i'm going through so i cannot imagine what she was feeling or what she was thinking in those 42 years it's just so crazy to me that she had to wait so long but because she was was waiting that long um she was able to learn a lot and I was able to learn a lot from her and I'm still learning a lot from her um and whenever something exciting happens or I get a big interview with someone I always message her first like she's always the first person I'm like oh my goodness guess who I get to talk to and I do fangirl a little bit after I talk to them like I, I know that you're not supposed to do that but like like these are people that I've watched on tv my entire life and like I watch their shows or listen to their podcasts and I'm like oh my gosh I get to talk to Tim and Lance from like crawl space like that is so cool like i freak <laughs> out about that stuff we'll be on like... my passion case this season too by the way i already oh. interviewed them <laughs> oh yeah they were on together <laughs> what a it's so crazy yeah like i got to talk to them that is so cool they're awesome by the way yeah like they're, I... <laughs> they're tr i mean like i couldn't even talk to them it was like they were just bickering back and forth it was hysterical exactly they're like amazing humans and like I love their podcasts, mm -hmm. but like getting to talk to them, like as people and like actually interviewing with them is really cool um, because they make it fun and like you're comfortable talking to them. 
And yeah, I did fangirl after that one. Like I mm-hmm. called her and I'm like, Michelle, guess what I just got to do? And she's like, you are so weird. Because <laughs> she's probably like, what the hell's a podcast? <laughs> oh, she, she did. She did a lot of podcasts actually, but I don't think that she, like that wasn't something that she grew up with. Like she didn't listen to podcasts and like, that's something that I've always done. And like me and Libby watched ID channel like every night before bed and like, like, I watched these people. I listened to these people, like, for the last three and a half years. Like, that is so cool that I get to talk to them now. And so she is, she's just my go-to person for everything. That's so neat that she can be, be that person for you. I mean, if you think about the people that have guided you since this, you know, terrible tragedies happened, I mean, it's amazing, like, you know, just to comment here or comment there. Or think about how much your, your life has changed so much. but again like like your teacher said you seem to be going you seem to be doing something you're really passionate about yeah i unfortunately don't think that like i think when like before this all happened we would watch the news and see all this bad stuff happening and watch like newscasts about these people being murdered and killed wherever by however like no matter the age and you just kind of get desynthesized to it and you're watching it and you're like it's okay. It's just another one. Um, but after you go through it, you're like, oh my gosh, there's another 14 year old getting sex trafficked, or there's another five year old being murdered by their stepdad. Like that happens way too often, but you don't realize it until you're actually going through something that is kind of the same thing. Um, like murder is murder, no matter how it happens. Like if you're going through a trauma of a violent crime, it's hard. And um, I think after going through it, I was more passionate about it than I was before. I definitely, I, I loved watching true crime, anything, but it wasn't something that I thought that I would go into ever. Um, but now I'm more passionate about that than anything else. Like I could sit down and have a conversation about all of the amazing people that I've met and their family members that have been murdered and talk to you like for hours about each of them. But do not ask me to sit down and talk to you about like biology. Like absolutely not. Like I could not do that. I don't want to talk about so. biology for an hour either. Yeah. No, that's the worst. <laughs> no, give me a break. It's like talking about chemistry or calculus. Like who wants to talk about that kind of stuff? Not it's me. Just, not me either. Yeah. Not me either. Yeah, it's uh it it's really cool that um the way that you're you're going about this and uh I mean, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Oliver is going for a run. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, we call those uh, zoomies around our house. <laughs> he's, he's a little tired. He's a little uh, stir crazy, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> are you guys Eastern Standard Time or are you guys Central Time? We are an Eastern. Okay. Because aren't you guys like half the state is... Yeah, it's really weird. So if you go, so if you drive an hour, like the other direction, mm-hmm. they are an hour behind us. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. So like if you go towards Illinois, like, I don't know, like my, maybe not even that from where I live now, it might just be half an hour and they're in a completely different time zone. But if you drive in the other direction, like in Muncie, it's the same time there as it is here. That's so, so like weird. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 
it's crazy. Like all like if you drive to Chicago, like you're you're basically losing an hour if you're going backwards <laughs> when you come home. So yeah, it's a, it's a little annoying, but and we're used so, to it. Well, yeah, I would I would assume growing up with it, yeah, that's definitely um wow. All right, so back to back to this back <laughs> to the story. Okay, so now that you're you've changed your career path, you have all these great support systems. You've been on a million different true crime shows. You had mentioned how much you love to watch true crime with your sister. Do you still enjoy it the same way or is it completely different now? It's completely different now, I think. Um, like before we were watching it, more for entertainment, I think. I think that's how a lot of people see true crime. But now I watch them and I'm like, that person, like imagine what that family is going through. Like you you see a little bit deeper and you look a little bit deeper into these cases. And then as soon as I watch one and I'm like, I'm like talking like while I'm watching it, I'm probably Googling it to see if I can find the family members on Twitter or something. Like I'm not even kidding every time. And sometimes I do find them and they don't always follow me back maybe because they don't know who I am yet. But like I get so invested into their cases. Like I can, I cannot watch it very often anymore. Um, I also don't, I'm a broke college student and can't pay for cable, but um I'll watch like the documentaries on Netflix and like I, I cannot sit down and watch them without getting invested into them. And with school, I have to like push, like I have to tell myself, do not watch a crew crime show today. Do not listen to a podcast today because if I do, I'm just going to find another new case that I want to get involved in. And true crime takes up 90% of my time and I probably only give school 10% of my time. Don't get me wrong. I'm pretty good at school. I'm doing pretty great in school. I do pay attention in class, but most of my time goes to my advocacy. And like, I don't even like if I am supposed to go to a family function, I'm probably sitting there on my phone talking to my advocate friends, like, or listening to a podcast because that's just how my life is right now. And that's how I'm finding new people to help me advocate. And that's how I'm finding people to get me new connections for my career and for my advocacy. And so like, not that I don't want to be doing other things. I would love to not have to advocate my butt off every day, but I think it just, it helps my soul to know that I'm helping other people and that I'm still searching for the killer. And so I spend so much time doing that and finding a new case to get involved in. is just not something that like I should be doing, but I definitely want to do. And I definitely will keep doing even when I don't have time for it. <laughs> like, do you realize that when you're done with school you and you have all your, are you going to go to medical school then? I am definitely considering it. Cause you're going to be, you, you understand, like you're going to be like <sighs> a talking, you're going to be on every show. Like you're going to go to you as like they do to like poly class, Klaus's father, class, Klaus you know, for missing children or, you know, that type of thing. I mean, you're going to be... The next John you, Walsh? <laughs> maybe. You could maybe. Be, you could definitely... I could see it. Oh, I, I could make it happen. I could definitely see it happening. Uh, and I think that there could be definitely room for that. Def- <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, though, that, um, you know, you, you're... Uh, gosh, you just threw me off with the whole John Walsh thing. <laughs> 
because uh, <laughs> that's what I, <laughs> I grew up with, with him. So I'm doing forensic psychology, obviously. Um, basically, what I want to do is work with serial killers and figure out why they do what they do, which I might never ever be able to do. But um, being able to work with them and kind of have a better understanding of them would be really interesting for me. But you don't have to get your medical degree for that. But if you do, you're able to um, be more of an expert and testify in cases. And so that would be something I would definitely want to do and definitely something that I would pursue. Um, Also, as like a psychologist, you would be more of a psychiatrist and that would get me into a couple more doors. But um, yeah, having uh, grown up as a child of the, I swear I was the first of my friends to ever go to therapy. And I think I started when I was in age 10 uh, and I've been going off and on for 30 years. So uh, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I think that uh, psychology, psychiatry, I think all that stuff is very, very important especially when dealing with tragedies and you know, a lot of people don't give it the, the necessary due that it needs. It's crazy. I think people don't realize how important your mental health is um, until you go through something and you're like, man, I feel really depressed and I need some help. And then you're finally like, maybe I'll go to therapy. But then also guys have a problem with feeling like they're a little superior and like they'll feel like a baby if they go I guess like it's a girl thing to do to go to therapy but like that's not true like I know plenty of guys that go to therapy like it's a good thing to be able to talk about yourself to talk about your feelings uh, with somebody that's not necessarily connected to you well they definitely shouldn't be connected to you or that's a bad therapist so just being able to talk about some but something to somebody who is completely blind and unbiased um, and that will tell you when you're being an idiot and you should stop, like maybe not in that direct of a way, but like a therapist can help you so much more than you can talking to anybody else, I think. And it's really awesome. Yeah. And I, so. and I will be 100% hey, anybody wants to talk to a man who's <laughs> accepted the fact that therapy is a necessity in life. Uh, I will happy to explain <laughs> but no i'm a huge huge proponent of therapy and uh you know you if they don't if you don't have people to turn to like that and you're you're just kind of lost like you said you know if you, if you don't have those victim advocacy groups if you're not doing like you mentioned when you were at family functions and you're listening to podcasts or you're tweeting with or texting with other you know victims family members and stuff like that, you know, you're always feel like you're moving towards something. So I can understand why that provides you some sort of comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that that comfort has gotten me through so much, like it has been so tremendously helpful. So here's a question for you. Do you want to talk about the suspects or the suspect or the case you know, where do you want to go next if you want, or do you want, do you not have any more time today? I'm, I have about 15 minutes. Okay. But I can call back any other day. I'm, I free pretty much every morning. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, you seem to be like so highly in demand. I don't want to be like that guy that's like, oh, you know, let me get you more time. But I also don't want to make you feel like you have to rush for the last 15 minutes. So, yeah. 
So let's uh, resume our conversation. Okay, sounds good. And you are awesome for joining me. I do, re- I do really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing the story. We have probably, we're still, we still have like half the case to talk about. And that's, that's <laughs> the reason why I'm like that we need to discuss like how much time you have left because there's so many more questions that I have for you mm-hmm. and, and you, you're just very easy to talk to. So definitely would like to uh, resume our conversation. So I appreciate you making time again for me on Thursday. Absolutely. So thanks so much again. Yeah, no problem. All right. You have a good day and enjoy your uh, class. Thank you. Everything, and by the way, uh, just to not be that person, but you will be successful no matter <laughs> what. I have a very, very high level of confidence in your skills. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. I, you're on your way. Take care. Yep, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Best Fiends for being this week's sponsor of Who Killed. You can download Best Fiends on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Thank you so much to Kelsey German for taking time out of her life to join me and discuss a very, very tragic story. So I can't thank her enough. And again, I appreciate all of you guys as well for tuning in. If you have any information in regards to Abby and Libby's case, I have a few ways that you can contact the authorities. And that is, if you want to email them, it's abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f dot com. And the tip line is 1-844-459-5786. Or you can call the Indiana State Police at 1-800-382-7537. And the Carroll County Sheriff's Office and that is 765-564-2413. And again, you can always contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. There is a major reward in excess of $200,000. So anybody with information leading to the arrest is in for a big reward. And there's a lot of families out there that would like some answers to this horrible case. Again, if you'd like to support the shows that I do produce, Who Killed and My Passion Case, you can do so via Venmo with my username at bill-huffman-3 or you can click on the donate button on slowburnmedia.com and that's slow minus the W. And I know that Kelsey would want nothing more than to see her sister's case solved and she can move on and be the advocate that she will definitely be so again thanks so much for tuning in and as always stay tuned for next week's episode when i have part two with kelsey but in the meantime be healthy and stay safe
3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.